Well, welcome back. I believe you've been here before. It's good to see you again. Number 1805-23, a rendering of each of seven episodes. Episode number one, A Year with the Church Fathers. Live a life worthy of your baptism. Can people tell that you're a Christian? St. John Chrysostom says we should live lives that always remind people of what we believe, not to show off, but because our example should be leading others to Christ. I see many living after their baptism more carelessly than the uninitiated, with nothing special to distinguish them in their way of life. Thus, neither in the market nor in the church can you tell quickly who is a believer and who is an unbeliever unless you are present at the time of the sacrament and see the one sort put out and the others staying inside. But they ought to be distinguished not only by their place, but by their way of life. Worldly dignities are shown by the outward signs conferred. Ours ought to be discernible by the soul. In other words, The believer ought to be obvious not only by the gift, but also by the new life. The believer ought to be the light and salt of the world. But when you don't give light even to yourself or bind up your own infection, what's left by which we can know you? Because you went into the holy waters? No, this becomes a source of punishment for you. For greatness of honor is an increase of vengeance to those who do not choose to live worthy of the honor. The believer are to shine forth not only by what he has received from God, but also by what he has contributed to himself. He should be distinguishable by everything, by his walk, by his look, by his clothes, by his voice. And I say this not because we should make a fine display, but because we should always be thinking of the benefit of those who see us. St. John Chrysostom, homily 4 on Matthew 14. In God's presence, consider, do I look like a Christian in the supermarket or even in church? Closing prayer. Father, creator of the universe, lead me to perfection and make me perfectly worthy of the grace you have been given me in baptism. Episode number two, Through the Year with Thomas Merton, A Concept of Sanity. And so I ask myself, what is the meaning of a concept of sanity that excludes love, considers it irrelevant, and destroys our capacity to love other human beings, to respond to their needs and their sufferings, to recognize them also as persons, to apprehend their pain as one's own. Evidently, this is not necessary for sanity at all. It is a religious notion, a spiritual notion, a Christian notion. What business have we to equate sanity with Christianity? None at all, obviously. Raids on the Unspeakable, episode number three, Magnificat, May 2023, volume 25, number three, item number one, a reading 
from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. Jesus said to his disciples, A little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while later and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What what does this mean that he is saying to us, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they said, What is this little while of which he speaks? We do not know what he means. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing with one another what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Amen, amen, I say to you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will become joy. The Gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the Day. Believing that Jesus remains with us. Many things have happened since our Lord was born in Bethlehem. We have thought of him in the manger, worshipped by the shepherds and the magi. We have contemplated those long years of unpretentious work in Nazareth. We have gone with him all through the land of Palestine as he preached the kingdom of God to men. And what about doing good to all? And later on, during the days of his passion, we have suffered on seeing him accused and ill-treated and crucified. Then sorrow gave way to the joy and light of the resurrection. What a clear and firm foundation for our faith. But perhaps, like the apostles in those days, we are still weak, and on the day of the ascension we ask Christ, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Is it now that we can expect all our perplexity and all our weaknesses to vanish forever? Like the apostles, we remain partly perplexed and partly saddened at his departure. I am moved when I think that in an excess of love he has remained with us even when he has gone away. He has gone to heaven and at the same time he gives himself to us as our nourishment in the sacred host. If we have learned to contemplate the mystery of Christ, if we make an effort to see him clearly, we will realize that now we can come very near to Jesus, too, in both body and soul. We can be with him in the bread and in the word, receiving the nourishment of the Eucharist and knowing and fulfilling all that he came to teach us as we meet and deal with him in our prayer. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. But he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself in him. These are not mere promises. They are something real, the essence of a true life, the life of grace that leads us to deal with God personally and directly. If you keep my commandments, you would abide in my love, and I also have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These words Jesus said at the Last Supper are the best introduction to the day of the Ascension. Christ knew that He had 
to go away. Because in a mysterious way that we cannot fully understand, after the ascension, a new outpouring of God's love would bring the presence of the third person of the Blessed Trinity. He sends us the Holy Spirit who directs and sanctifies our souls. The action of the paraclete within us confirms what Christ had announced, that we are children of God, that we have not received a spirit of bondage so as to be again in fear, but a spirit of adoption as sons by virtue of which we cry, Abba, Father. This is the action of the Blessed Trinity in our souls. A Christian always has access to God, who dwells in the innermost part of his being. Episode number four is God's Little Instruction Book, number one, two, and three by Honor Books. Golden Nugget number one is inspired by Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19. Choice, not chance, determines human destiny. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Golden Nugget number two, inspired by Psalm 100, verse three. The greatest act of faith is when man decides he is not God. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Golden Nugget number three, inspired by James chapter one, verse 12. Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Episode number five, Chesterson Day by Day. George Meredith died. The trees thinned and fell away from each other, and I came out into deep grass and a road. I remember being surprised that evening was so far advanced. I had a fancy that this valley had a sunset all to itself. I went along that road according to directions that had been given me and passed the gateway in a slight paling beyond which the wood changed only faintly to a garden. It was as if the curious courtesy and fineness of that character I was to meet went out from him upon the valley, for I felt on all these things the finger of that quality which the old English called ferry. It is the quality which those can never understand who think of the past as merely brutal. It is an ancient elegance such as there is in trees. I went through the garden and saw an old man sitting by a table, looking smallish in his big chair. He was already an invalid, and his hair and beard were both white, not like snow, for snow is cold and heavy, but like something feathery or even fierce. Rather, they were white like white thistledown, I came up quite close to him. He looked at me as he put out his frail hand, and I saw of a sudden that his eyes were startlingly young. He 
was the one great man of the old world whom I have met, who was not a mere statue over his own grave. He was deaf, and he talked like a torrent. He did not talk about the books he had written. He was far too much alive for that. He talked about the books he had not written. He unrolled a purple bundle of romances, which he had never had time to sell. He asked me to write one of the stories for him, and he would have asked the milkman if he had been talking to the milkman. It was a splendid and frantic story, a sort of astronomical farce. It was all about a man who was rushing up to the Royal Society with the only possible way of avoiding an earth-destroying comet, and it showed how, even on this huge errand, the man was tripped up by other minute, by his own weakness and vanities. He now had lost train by trifling or was put a goal for brawling. This is only one of them. There were ten or twenty more. Another I dimly remember was a version of the fall of the Parnell. The idea that a quiet, honest man might be secret from a pure love of secrecy, of solitary self-control. I went out that garden with a blurred sensation of the million possibilities of creative literature. The feeling increased as my way fell back into the wood. For a wood is a palace with a million corridors that crossed each other everywhere. I really had the feeling that I had seen the creative quality, which is supernatural. I had seen what Vigil calls the old man of the forest. I had seen an elf. The trees thronged behind my path. I had never seen him again, and now I shall not see him, because he died last Tuesday. Tremendous Trifle, episode number six, Reflection. To conceal one's virtues and aesthetic labors has been the custom of aesthetics, both female and male, not only in the earliest of Christianity, but throughout all ages of the present time. Eudokia, wife of the glorious Prince Dmitri Donskoy, the liberator of Russia from the Tars, was left a widow in 1389, while still fairly young. Imbued with devotion, this princess built many churches, distributed alms, and secretly weakened her body by fasting and long vigils. She wore an iron chain around her body. Meanwhile, she always appeared happy before the public, clothed in opulence and adored with pearls. The public said many things about her, and they began to spread rumors that she was leading an immoral life. Her sons also heard about this, and insulted and embittered, openly informed their mother of what was being said about her. Their mother opened her luxurious robe, and her sons, with great horror, saw her body completely withered, dried up, and bound with iron chains. Episode number seven, a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. If you have 
men who will exclude any of God's creatures from the shelter of compassion and pity, you will have men who will deal likewise with their fellow men. Remember that this is indeed a wonderful day. Today is again a day made by God. We again will rejoice and continue to be be glad in it. Thanks be to God.